So this morning we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. You can find us on page 1,158 in the Bibles provided in the chairs. This morning we're going to focus in on Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, but when I read, I'm going to start at Ephesians 3. I'm going to go back a little and start back at Ephesians 3 to set the full context of the verses we're going to be looking at today. But we will be on page 1,158. So I'm going to start at verse 14 of chapter 3 in reading our passage of Scripture today. Remember Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, in the first part of chapter 3, the Apostle Paul has lifted up a lot of doctrines, a lot of theology, a lot of things about God. He's made clear that, that uh, God has chose us and saved us, and the Holy Spirit makes us alive, and we are saved in Jesus Christ, and he goes through all these, all these truths. And then we get to this part of chapter 3 and 4, and the Apostle Paul will do some teaching, and then oh, he just starts praising God. And then he'll do some teaching, and oh, he's just overcome. He just starts praising God. It's beautiful. He just, he just can't help himself when he speaks of these great truths and that. So we're going to be looking at this. So Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. So here we're understanding God, one Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. So now there's the Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ, now there's the Son. So here we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Through faith. You must, I must, we must Believe in Jesus Christ, to be united with Him, to be alive in Him, to be saved by Him. We must have faith. We must believe. We must trust. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. You see, the key word here is love. It keeps being repeated. It keeps being emphasized. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's inexhaustible. You will spend eternity... If you are in Jesus Christ, if you are saved, if you're alive in Him through the power of the Holy Spirit, 
you will spend eternity learning and growing it and knowing the love of God that surpasses knowledge. For eternity. For eternity. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So now here in verse 20, you see Paul just breaks out into worship. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably be more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Here it is, verse 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So now in chapter 4, the Apostle Paul reminds again of, that he's a prisoner. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This is what we looked at last week. So what is for the Apostle Paul a life worthy of the gospel, a life worthy of this love that surpasses knowledge? It is this, verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient Bearing with one another in love. There's the key word again. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So there in verse 3, the Apostle Paul brought up that unity of the Holy Spirit. And now we have our text for today. Verse 4. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Let us go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness we thank you that you created us. You are the creator. Everything that has been made has been made by you. And Father, we thank you that you are the Savior. You redeem us. You free us. You make us alive. Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment, that you would guide us through the power of your Holy Spirit at this time, that we may know the truth of your Son, Jesus Christ, and be set free. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. We see this is what the Apostle Paul has been building to throughout the entire letter to the church in Ephesus. He's been building to this unity. We've seen this throughout every chapter. Where the Apostle Paul makes clear that we are saved by the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you look back at Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, you look at verse 3. So here's how he starts the letter. Ephesians 1, 3, the Apostle Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We see the work of the Father and the work of the Son. And then verse 13, if you go down, here we see the work of the Holy Spirit. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So that's the work. So you have Father, God the Father, who from eternity past has elected. He knows who are His. He is calling a people. He is making a family. And He is going to adopt children who had forsaken Him, who in their sins had rebelled against Him. Remember, that's what Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2 talked about. Before we came to salvation, we were enslaved to the ruler of this world. That's the devil. That our our fallen flesh, the cravings and desires for lust and pride and greed and, and things that are in disobedience to God's holiness and his word and his love for us, that we are enslaved to our flesh, our fallen nature. We are enslaved to the devil and we're enslaved to this world. But the Holy Spirit comes, Ephesians 1, 4. Ephesians 1, 4, 13. The Holy Spirit comes and makes us alive. By God's grace, we are saved as a gift. And the Holy Spirit makes us alive so that we can then say no to our fallen flesh rebelling against God. We can then say no to the devil, resist him, and he will flee from us. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. And we can say no to the world around us with all its deceptions and false statements. And we can say yes to God and trust Him and know Him. And we are sealed. So we are called a child of God. We go from being a child of wrath, God's holy just wrath being against us, to being a child of God. We go from being a child of disobedience to being a child of God with whom he loves and is well pleased. That's the gospel. That's that's the work of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in our lives. So you see this throughout this letter to the church in Ephesus. And then, as we see at the last part of 2 and into 3, the Apostle Paul is emphasizing that there, are, there is no longer Jew or Gentile in Jesus Christ. There is no longer these divisions or walls or barriers between different people. That in Jesus Christ, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you receive all the same promises, all the same love, all the same truth, that you are Christ. That you are one. That's why the Apostle Paul says that Jesus Christ, there is no longer Jew, Gentile, free, slave, Greek, barbarian, Scythian, whatever category of, of race or people group or ethnicity or language. In Jesus Christ, we are one. We are one. 
because there's one God and there's one way that we are saved. It's through Jesus Christ and one Holy Spirit that makes us alive. So you see that this is what the Apostle Paul is building to in all these words leading up to Ephesians 4, verses 4. This is the very thing that Jesus prayed for. If you go to the Gospel of John, this is one of the most crucial passages to understand Ephesians 4, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. This section here, especially 4 through 6, what we're focusing in on, you have to know John chapter 17. So if you go to John chapter 17, and starting at verse 20. So John 17, the Gospel of John, starting at verse 20. Here you have Jesus praying. And what Jesus is praying for is what Paul is teaching in Ephesians 4, verses 4, 5, and 6. The Apostle, I mean, Jesus is praying that this will take place. This unity of God's people because God is one. So John chapter 17, starting at verse 20. So here's Jesus praying. I do not ask for these only. There he's talking about his disciples. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. So if anyone here believes in Jesus Christ, that you believe that he is Lord and Savior and that he is the way of salvation and and through his work on the cross and his resurrection, you have forgiveness and life, you're being prayed for right here. That's what this is saying. So Jesus is praying for you at this moment. Verse 21, this is what Jesus is praying for. That they may all be one, united, one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be, there's the word again, one, even as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you loved me. That's a powerful statement. Jesus is saying, not only is he praying that the church of all people, all time, would be one, united in the truth, but he's saying that through that unity, it will shine the light of Christ in the midst of the darkness. And the world will see this, and it will be a testimony of the truth of Jesus Christ. Because no matter how much the world tries to speak of unity, the world offers you unity in this way. The world offers unity by saying, we are going to be united by just everyone believing whatever you want to believe, living however you want to live. You can choose whatever way you want, as long as you're happy and at peace within yourself, then we will be unified around that. 
But Jesus Christ makes clear that that is no source of unity. All that is, is enslavement. You're enslaved to your fallen self. You're enslaved to the devil and his deceptions. And you're enslaved to the fallen world. The only way we can have unity, the only way there can be unity between nations and people groups and languages and all these different distinctions, the only way there can be true unity is in Jesus Christ, is through Jesus Christ, through faith and belief in Him. And that's what Jesus is praying for in John 17. This is the same Jesus that says, I am the way, truth, and life. No one gets to the Father except through me. And here he's praying for this unity, this oneness in the church. That's what we saw earlier in Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul prayed in verse 16, and that we might be reconciled, that God would reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. That's how the unity takes place. Thereby killing the hostility. What is the greatest unifier? The greatest unifier is this. When we all, when every individual person, now this gets very personal. So how this unity takes place is when every individual person, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what your background or your ancestry. It doesn't matter anything. But how the unity takes place is when a person, whether they lived a thousand years ago or a thousand years in the future, it doesn't matter what language, what part of the world they were born and raised in. It doesn't matter what religious background or system they come out of. How true unity and true life takes place is when a person comes to realize for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is wrath, but the free gift, there it is, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus His Son. That's the unifier. When we realize that, when we humbly come before God and acknowledge that without you I have nothing, you could have a lot of things. Oh, you could have a lot of things. A lot of things. But when you realize that without faith in Jesus Christ, without Him being your greatest treasure and your greatest hope, you really have nothing. But when you realize that Jesus is your greatest desire, that He's your treasure, that what He accomplished on the cross is the most wonderful thing you could ever think about or you could ever speak about or you, you could ever proclaim that on that cross your sins were taken, the wrath that you deserve was taken on Him so that the love of God can be poured out on you, the forgiveness of God's grace can overflow in your life. That's the unity. That's the oneness of heart and mind 
of the church that we see the Apostle Paul lifting up here. How tender is this unity? Where it says in verse 4, there is one body. This body is speaking about the body of Jesus Christ. Literally, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you become a part of his body. He is the head and we are the body. And he is manifesting himself through us. And how tender is that? You see the most beautiful expression of this in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 29, it says this. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. It talks about us nourishing and cherishing our bodies. Just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. So that's the one body. So we have this image of Jesus Christ nourishing us and cherishing us, holding us close, caring us, feeding us, nurturing us, just just loving us in every sense. It's a beautiful image. Now, this could be difficult. This could be difficult. This could become a stumbling block because to be a part of the body of Jesus Christ, one must acknowledge that if, if we are not a part of Christ, then, then we don't have life. We have nothing. But once we realize that He is our everything, that we, we are a part of His body and we are nourished in a tender, loving way. This is what the Apostle Paul speaks of in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, where he speaks of one body and many members. And we see this body is to be unified. How is the body unified? In verse 4, there is one body through one spirit. Again, this is the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit who comes. And you go through the scriptures, there are several things that are lifted up of how the Holy Spirit brings about this unity. That we have access through this one spirit. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 2. Number two, we are all empowered by this one spirit. We saw that in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, that we're given gifts and abilities and empowered by the one Holy Spirit to serve Christ. Verse, another example, number three, is in this one spirit, the Holy Spirit, we are all baptized into one body. In the most beautiful description of this one spirit that brings about this one unity of this one body is Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. So I take you there. Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 6. This is focusing on this this work of this one spirit. So Romans 8, starting at verse 6. So in here is a beautiful promise, but a powerful warning. A beautiful promise and a powerful warning. We just were able to go up uh, skiing again, up at Stevens Pass. And when you're skiing at Stevens Pass, if you are at the level of skiing that I'm at, you are always scanning the signs. The signs. Because you'll come to a section and you'll have a sign that's green. Oh, you like green signs. 
if you're at my skill level. And then you'll see signs that are blue, and you're like, oh, that, that, that could work. So that, you know, blue isn't too bad. But what are you always watching for if you're at my skill level? Oh, there's these signs, and one of them has one black diamond, and, and that's a little tempting. But then there's a sign that has two black diamonds. And there's a category on there, and it says expert. Expert. So when you come to one of these opportunities, and there's several places in Seaman's Fast, you come to a corner and you're scanning the signs, and there's one place in particular where if you go right, you have this nice and gentle blue. Oh, I could do that. If you go left, expert. Double black diamond. And it would take me the rest of the day to find my gear if I went down that side. So I'm faced with those two options. I'm faced with those two options. For me, one is imminent possible death and harm. The other is wonderful enjoyment with my family. But there's a more dangerous option presented here in Romans 8. So you look at Romans 8, starting at verse 6. The Apostle Paul speaks of something that is far worse because there are those among us here who can easily ski a double black diamond But the Apostle Paul is speaking about a sheer cliff that no one can manage if you go over this section. And that is having our minds and lives focused on the flesh. So this is Romans 8. So this takes us to the Spirit. So Romans 8, starting at verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. So again, this flesh, this is our fallen nature. This is the sinful nature that we are born and conceived in. Being in the flesh means we, we are hostile to God. We, we don't want to submit to God. We want to be gods of our own lives. We want to do things how we want to do them. And mindset like that, a mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit comes and gives us new minds to know God and to love Christ and and to walk in His ways in freedom and grace. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are on the flesh cannot please God. It's a powerful reminder for all of us. If we are not in Jesus Christ, if we do not believe in Him and trust in Him as the only way of salvation, as King of kings and Lord of lords, we cannot please God. We will not please God. We are hostile to God. Verse 9. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. There's that Spirit, the one Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you. Some of the most beautiful words in all the Scriptures. But if Christ is in you. How does that happen? Through faith. Through belief. Through trust. But if Christ is in you, remember who Christ is? This is the Son of God 
This is God. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Jesus' righteousness. Remember, all our righteousness is but filthy rags. We stand before God in Christ's righteousness. We couldn't say, we couldn't do, we couldn't think, we couldn't act in any way that could save us at all. It has to be the work of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So that's how vitally necessary and vitally important and vitally practical this understanding of verse 4 is. There is one body and one spirit just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One hope. We only have one hope. And it is that Christ would dwell in us. And that we would dwell in Christ. And that we would be united with Him and there would be unity of His body as we give Him glory. That's our one hope. The world, the flesh, will offer all different hopes. If only this investment will pay off. If only I can further myself in my career in this way. If only I could come up with this new theory or find this fame or find this ability or find this praise and then I'll put my hope in that. But the thing is, if you put your hope in anything but that unity with Jesus Christ, it will fail you. It will fail you. There's only one hope that never fails. And it is this calling in Jesus Christ. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 1. That when you are alive in Christ, you are born again to a living hope. And you are resurrected with Jesus Christ. And your inheritance is in heaven. And you are being guarded through faith until Christ returns. That's why verse 5, the Apostle Paul just breaks out, there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. There is one faith in Jesus Christ. One baptism in Jesus Christ. If you look at this entire verse, you could add Christ to every part of it. Verse 4, there is one body of Christ. There is one spirit of Christ. There is one hope in Jesus Christ. There is one Lord who is Jesus Christ. One faith in Christ. One baptism in Christ. You see how Christ just keeps being lifted up again and again because for the Apostle Paul, Jesus Christ is his everything. That's why he was willing and rejoiced to be shipwrecked, to be imprisoned, to be beaten, to have times of nearly being starved to death. He lost all his prestige and fame with his teaching in the temple all his financial abilities, all his security of this world, he counted all rubbish, garbage. 
compared to having Jesus Christ. So you could see where the Apostle Paul would just break out. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. In the verse 6, because it all comes to the one Father. There is one God and Father of all. So we've looked at the Spirit in verse 4. We've looked at Jesus Christ in verse 5. There is one Lord who is Christ, one faith in Christ, one baptism in Christ. And now in verse 6, we go to the Father. Here we have the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ the Son, and God the Father. Here it is, verse 6. One God and Father of all. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Who's your father? It wasn't until I was I was 18 years old was the first time I consciously remember seeing my father's face. My physical father, my biological father. I was, I had, no, I'm sorry, I was 19. As I had, I was started, I had went away to college and then my grandfather passed away. So I went back to Ohio. I went back to Ohio and I'm there and I got a phone call. And my mother said, here, this is your father. I had spent maybe a combined eight hours with my father in my life before this time. I didn't know anything about him. I didn't, I didn't know what he looked like. So she hands me the phone and he says, I heard Shorty, that's my grandfather, passed away. And I, and I figured you'd be in town. I'd love to see you. And I said, okay. So he said, meet at this, this place and this, that, so... I go, I'm driving there, and, and I get out in the parking lot, and I'm like, how will I recognize this person? Now, this may be strange for people who grew up with a father. Does anyone here look like their father, your physical father? Sure. So it would be fairly easy for you to... I never had that concept. Never had that concept. So I'm there in the parking lot, I get out, I'm looking around, and this other car pulls up, and this man gets out, and I just look at him. And I realize it was me in 20 years. It was me, but 20 years older. I had never seen something like this in my life. I had no concept. And I went up to him, and he looked at me, and he hadn't seen me for I was 19, so he hadn't seen me for 16 years. And he looked at me, and he said, Jacob. And I looked at him, and I said, Lee. That's his name. We recognize each other immediately. Immediately. What's so amazing about verse 6 is it says, there is one Father, one God and Father of all. Of all. Who is over all and through all and in all. And what's so good about the Gospel is in Jesus Christ, 
we can be made alive so that we can, for the first time, once we believe and trust, we can see our Heavenly Father and for the first time, because we are made alive in Christ, see Him and we can recognize Him and we can say, Daddy, Father, you are my Father. And that's the most wonderful, wonderful thing we could ever experience and we could ever know. Because then we're alive. We are forgiven. And we are His. When it says one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, it is to reassure and comfort you knowing that if you have God as your Father... Who can be against you? What could anyone or anything do against you? Your father is stronger. He's greater. He's wiser. He's mightier. He's more loving than anything you could imagine and hope for. That is the one faith, the one gospel of the one Lord that we are made alive to through the one Spirit. Let us go to Christ in prayer. Father, we do thank you. We thank you that you make us alive so that we can know you, so that we can see you for the first time. That we could cry out to you. That we could throw our arms up to you. Knowing that in your son Jesus Christ. You love us. You pick us up. And you hold us close. It doesn't matter what we have said. What we have done. What, what sin or rebellion or disobedience or brokenness we have been a part of in the past. If we come to trust and believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, we are yours. And you will take care of us. So, Father, we pray that you will just make us alive to trust and believe and know this with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.